Since the revealing of the Trump peace plan, the discussion of Israel applying sovereignty over the Jordan Valley and the Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria, what the world calls the West Bank, became much more mainstream. But with Israel having multiple successive elections and struggling to form a a government, sovereignty in these most sensitive areas could not proceed. However, With a minority government now in place in Israel, with one of the terms that sovereignty could proceed, the regional and international backlash has come out strong, just as we would expect from Bible prophecy. As Tim mentioned last week, this is the controversy of the age. For almost 2,000 years, the world knew the Jews only as a wandering and scattered people. And as far as the majority of Christendom was concerned, it was rightly so. Many of the early church fathers railed against the Jews as Christ killers and a cursed people. But by the time you come to the Middle Ages, Jews are actually being stripped of rights, they're persecuted, exiled, and much worse. Now, I will mention here that a similar situation is happening for fringe Christian groups as well, especially those that were anti-Trinitarian and spoke out against the Roman church. But the great mother church, as she sees herself, and her daughters long forgot the promise of God to Abraham when he said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Also the, also, uh, the inspired uh, writings of the Apostle Paul when he called the Jews beloved for the Father's sakes, or when he wrote that he would give his own life to save his Jewish brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh, who, he says, are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen, he writes. And the church fathers certainly read over the desire and hope of the apostles in Acts chapter 1 when they desired the Jewish kingdom to be restored, to which Jesus Christ himself would not correct, but rather tell them that they, it was not for them to, uh, to know the time. In fact, when we come forward to Acts 3, the apostle Peter tells us that Jesus Christ would not return until the times of the restoration of all things spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. What all the holy prophets spoke of was the day when the kingdom of Israel would be restored. The Old Testament is simply full of the message of the downfall of this kingdom and its final restoration. The early Christian church held dearly to this simple message, but it was soon corrupted. And they would teach that Christ's kingdom was actually the church itself. It was Christ's kingdom, Christendom. And any future hope 
was in the heavens, and the church ruled on earth. Those, those simple beliefs of the early Christians were truly soon forgot. But this belief sounds great so long as the church sits in all its glory and power, and Jews wander the earth as a despised people. But when the Jewish people begin to return to their ancient land, the church has a problem, a major problem. And the Jews themselves encounter vicious opposition, and they have forever since. Giulio Mioti writes in his book, the Vatican, uh, the Vatican Against Israel, the following. He says, The Pope made clear to Herzl the existence of a restored Israel in the land of the Bible, proof that the Jewish people is not annihilated, assimilated, and withering away, is the living refutation of the Christian myth about the Jewish end in the historic process. And this is precisely why the state of Israel has been the most dramatic challenge for Vatican uh, sorry, for the Vatican and the biggest crisis for contemporary Christian theology. Another writer, Avro Manhattan, in his book The Vatican-Moscow Alliance, writes the following. The specter of the... And this was written, I think, in the, seven, it's, uh, in the 70s he wrote this. The specter of the creation of a Hebrew theocracy has haunted the inner chambers of the Catholic Church from her earliest inception and is still a dominant fear. Hence her equivocal role in world affairs surrounding the birth of the state of Israel. He continues uh, on a little further. He says, In Vatican eyes, therefore, the millenarian yearning for a global Hebrew theocracy represents a deadly threat to the estiological teachings of the Catholic Church. When translated into concrete political terms, such a view spells not only rivalry, but implacable enmity. This is the reality. The church opposed the state of Israel, with, or even before the state of Israel, the Jews returning, but opposed it with everything it had. Uh, and, they, and, and they couldn't stop it. There was nothing they could do to stop it. And neither could they stop the establishment uh, in 48. So they, they tried to stop the Jewish return. They tried to, tried to stop the establishment in 48. But there was one consolation, we could say. The Jews didn't have Jerusalem, and, uh, and neither did they have the holy sites uh, in the mountains. That, of course, would change in 1967. The results of that defensive six-day miracle war was such a huge blow to the Vatican, and it was one they were never willing to accept. They still cling, in fact, today to their desire to make Jerusalem an international city, and you can be sure one they would like to control. Enter the presidency of Donald Trump, and it's turned into another major blow for the Vatican. When Trump recognized the Jewish control over Jerusalem, it, it was like a dart to the, to the heart of the Vatican. And now, Israel's posed to annex the Jordan Valley uh, and many of the Jewish settlements in the mountains of um, Judea and Samaria, places such as the Mount of Gerizim, Mount of Blessing, uh, which is the Mount of Blessing, uh, Bethel, Shiloh, uh, Shiloh's where the tabernacle sat for hundreds of years, uh, Hebron, where David first ruled his kingdom from, uh, the Jordan Valley and River, and of course, neighborhoods of Jerusalem will all likely be included. But whatever opposition the Vatican has raised against the Jewish people 
has never stopped the resurrection and rising of the nation. What now it seems with imminent Israeli annexation and sovereignty over these areas, the condemnation and opposition really is starting to grow. Although the Vatican is usually careful about what it says, it usually still works through its allies. But still, she has not been silent. On January the 9th this year, Pope Francis made clear the Vatican position was the urgent need for the whole international community to reconfirm with courage and sincerity and in respect for international law its commitment to support the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Make no mistake, the Vatican is calling the entire international community to be involved and to clamp down on Israel. And the Pope continued, saying, Respect for international law and the relevant United Nations resolutions is an indispensable element for the two peoples to live side by side in two states within the borders internationally recognized before 1967. It's also clear he doesn't want any Jewish presence outside of the 1967 borders. This would mean Israel giving up West Jerusalem, including the Wailing Wall, the City of David, and all the locations previously listed, including the Jordan River Valley. But he then threatened that the Holy See is following the situation closely. Well, there is certainly some of the international community that is in line with the Vatican, and that would be, to start with, the EU, Russia, and of course, Iran. And the new Israeli government has finally come together after these three elections, um, but they've barely began to assemble, and they're already facing EU threats, um, which include economic sanctions and the suspension of diplomatic relations, if Israel dares to follow through with its plans of annexation. And Russia, Russia's the, the foreign ministry there put out a statement, which reads, uh, this is part of their statement, such expansionist actions by Israel could provoke a dangerous cycle of violence in the Palestinian territories, as well as destabilize the situation in the Middle East, uh, sorry, the Middle East region as a whole. And that was, um, that was the foreign ministry put that out. And Sergei Lavrov, uh, he also commented uh, and relayed Moscow's, quote, strong objection. What's amazing about the common objections of these three parties is that they're all represented in Revelation 16 by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And for if you want to look further into those, uh, I've put on the BibleInTheNews.com, on, uh, right in the text there, I've put the links uh, of where you can, if you want to look uh, those up more and go through that, um, the links are there and you can do that. In which some cases I've put uh, back issues of the Bible magazine, uh, and on the dragon, I've given you, uh, if, you're, if you're interested to follow it, an, an older uh, Bible in the News, um, which, which covers uh, that in, in quite some detail. So those, those are there. But, so it's the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, Russia, Europe, and the Roman Church. But when we come to Ezekiel 38, there are other nations as well that uh, line up here, and specifically Persia, Iran, as we know it today, Libya and Ethiopia. And incredibly, two of these are in the news as well. Uh, Libya and, of course, Iran. Uh, in Libya, there's two sides currently fighting. Uh, the government of the National Accord, as it's called, the GNA, 
and that's supported by Turkey and also by the United Nations. And uh, General Kefila Haftar, and he's supported by Russia. They call him uh, they call him a warlord. But regardless, the GNA just recently, in the last week or two, has been gaining significant ground and actually taking some of the bases back uh, from um, General Haftar, supported by Russia. Uh, and now it's being reported uh, that they are they're they're sort of gaining the GNA is gaining ground. But there was an interesting article, and it's uh, and it reported the following: Washington's Africa Command say Moscow may be seeking to capture bases on Libya's coast, creating a long-term security threat on Europe's southern flank. The U.S. released images it claimed were of disguised Russian planes, including MiG-29s, at Al Jafura Air Base south of Sirte. It is thought that there are as many as eight jets and that they will uh, they were sent around May the 14th, so less than two weeks ago. Uh, should Libya fall into Russian control, this would fit directly in with Ezekiel 38. Even if jets just propped up solely by, well, majority by Russia, that would fit in with Ezekiel 38. But I think what it says there is that it's creating a long-term threat on Europe's southern flank. That's quite quite amazing. But also on a side note, putting uh, Turkey against Russia, and that's what's sort of coming out of this, uh, directly also fits into Bible prophecy. And we've waited for Russia and Turkey to uh, become hostile uh, to the point that uh, Russia would move into Turkey. And you think, well, that sounds ridiculous. Well, when you go to Daniel chapter 2 and you have the image there, in the end, the image stands upright. And it's got two legs, a western leg and an eastern leg. The western leg is Rome, but the eastern leg is Constantinople, or Istanbul, uh, as we know it today. And so when that image stands up, the two, d the divided Roman Empire has to come together. And it has to be one huge empire, uh, and it can't be missing, um, we would say, the eastern Rome uh, in Constantinople. So, you know, the fact that, that uh, Russia is finding itself at odds with Turkey is uh, fits uh, also directly in line with what we've been waiting for. And lastly, we'll mention Iran, where the situation in Israel is bringing Iran out in its full. Uh, not only has the Ayatollah, uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said they will support and assist any nation or group anywhere who opposes and fights the Zionist regime, but he also tweeted that the Zionist regime is a deadly cancerous growth and a detriment to the region. It will undoubtedly be, undoubtedly be uprooted and destroyed, he says. And possibly uh, even further, he has said, because he's now even uh, used words that are infamous, we would say. Uh, he has called for a final solution, which obviously for Israel is a red rag uh, to a bull. So quite amazing. Iran has always been very hostile to Israel, but it certainly is taking it up a notch, even if just in speech only. And I think time is going to tell what uh, where that goes. Um, the U.S. and Iran are also, uh, things are heating up also in the Persian Gulf. So that whole situation is is unstable to say the least. But when... The Northern Confederacy of Nations, from in Ezekiel 38, mapped out in Ezekiel 38, that we look at so often on this program, when they come together in their opposition of Israel, 
there are nations that support Israel, if in word only. Uh, certainly they support them now. And of course, the leader of these is the United States, where last weekend Donald Trump ordered places of worship opened. Here he is. Some governors have deemed liquor stores and abortion clinics as essential, but have left out churches and other houses of worship. It's not right. So I'm correcting this injustice and calling houses of worship essential. I call upon governors to allow our churches and places of worship to open right now. If there's any question, they're going to have to call me, but they're not going to be successful in that call. These are places that hold our society together and keep our people united. The governors need to do the right thing and allow these very important essential places of faith to open right now for this weekend. If they don't do it, I will override the governors. In America, we need more prayer, not less. And this may seem like a very unusual statement from a leader of a country in, in today's world. But in the United States, a recent survey said that approximately 40% of the population is reading their Bibles at least once a week. That number rises to 46% for those reading their Bibles at least once per month. Compare that to Canada, where a survey in 2013, not so recent, they uh, came back saying only 14% of Canadians read their Bibles at least once a month. Uh, and that was down from 28% in 1996. And sadly, I am sure that the number is even lower now. So it's it's you know the difference in in our in this you sometimes you know you can you feel like Canada is just sort of almost a part of the United States in many ways although they would Canadians would never want to say that but the difference in culture is huge especially in its uh, relation to the Bible so you know I looked I you know when you look at those survey results you know forty to forty six percent of people reading their Bibles in the U S versus fourteen percent in Canada. Um, with that level of Bible reading going on, it's not really surprising that there's a different culture. And it explains uh, that I would, you know, I when I looked at those numbers, to be honest, I was quite surprised. But it's certainly not so surprising that the U.S. is more apt to support Israel. And without a doubt, the purpose of God is on track. And with many of the advancements of the Jewish people in Israel, the nations are sure to react, and by far the majority are opposed. But we'll close with the words of Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. We certainly are living in the last days of the last days. We just want to take this opportunity also to let you know about an upcoming event on June the 6th, uh, Prophecy Live 2020, Lift Up Your Heads for Your Redemption Draweth Nigh, is the title of it. Uh, and that's going to be broadcast live on uh, Zoom and on YouTube. It's going to be quite, uh, quite an amazing event, um, we hope. Uh, we've got um, Mike Jenner and Stephen Palmer from the from the United Kingdom speaking. Uh, Tim Badger from 
uh, Australia speaking, and Dave Billington, who regularly um, speaks on Bible in the News, he's also presenting as well. So there's going to be four sessions that are going to be broadcast live, and um, you can see there's links going to be put in this on this specific Bible in the News. Uh, you could uh, see those um, here, but it's to openyourbible.com uh, forward slash prophecy dash live dash 2020. So um, that can be found again, as I say, on bibleinthenews.com, uh, the link to the Open Your Bible uh, site. Um, so join us for that. It's going to be great. You don't have to pre-register, but um, certainly, you know, log on and um, and enjoy those sessions with us. And other than that, we appreciate you coming for another edition of the Bible in the News. Uh, this has been John Billington with you. Uh, come back next week. <laughs>